1: right, I'll do. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over
0: 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG.
2: The Gist is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website, portfolio, And online store. For a free trial and 10% off, visit squarespace.com and enter offer code GIST, that's G I S T, at checkout. A better web starts with your website.
0: It's Friday, June 20th, 2014. From Slate, it's the GIST. I'm Mike Pesca. And the Edmund Fitzgerald sunk in Lake Superior. I got it. I got your calls. I got your emails. I got your Facebook messages, your tweets. That one regrettable instance of podcast listener self-immolation. Unnecessary. Step too far. So I did screw that one up in yesterday's spiel. I said that the Edmund Fitzgerald sunk in Lake Michigan, not Lake Superior. Perhaps, in fact, Lake Michigan and Huron and Erie and Ontario actually do give up their dead. It is not said about them that they don't give up their dead. That is said right there in the song about Lake Superior, and that's where the boat sank. So, uh, I am chastened. Got it noted. In other transportation news, Harley-Davidson is debuting an electric motorcycle. The live wire will be a game changer for sure. There is no reason why motorcyclists wouldn't want to be in on the uh, sustainable electric bike craze, electric vehicle craze. It will probably suck in a new younger user. But you know what? It just doesn't seem quite in keeping with the Harley brand as we know it, right? All right, some announcements. First of all, all you nude nomads, we are not a motorcycle gang. We are a brotherhood. We nomads live by a creed. One, love your brothers. Two, respect the open road. Three, remember to recharge every 80 to 110 miles. All right, now we're going to reissue the leather jackets with the nomads crest on the back and your new names. Attila, you are now sustainability. Thor, we rechristen you carbon offset. Amplitude. Good. Okay, Amplitude, you get to keep your name. But what will the new bike, the live wire, sound like? Will Rolling Thunder now be Rolling Whisper? Actually, Harley execs say that the electric bike engine will have a sound. Not a Big Boy or a Hog, but more like a quieter jet engine. I think Carbon Offset will like that. And speaking of sound, you may have noticed I'm sounding a little different than normal. I'm in a hotel room in New Haven. I was just on a panel of an Ideas Festival. I got some ideas about Ideas Festivals, and that's going to be the spiel. And we will play you an excerpt of this panel I was on with Nikki Davidoff, Frank DeFord, and Elizabeth Alexander. It was called Thinking About Sports. See the thinking right in there? Justifies the presence in the Ideas Festival. But first, come on, get happy. McDonald's Happy Meals now have a face and a smile and can presumably bite you back. They've done it. McDonald's has done it. They've taken the Happy Meal, and they've turned it from a meal, or a quasi-meal, into a person. They, they call it happy. They drew a smile on the Happy Meal, and internally, McDonald's is telling you what the qualities of happy is. Happy's... Have, wait, let me let me read this from from a McDonald's rep. Happy brings fun and energy to kids' meals while serving as an ambassador for balanced and wholesome eating. Happy promotes consumption of fruits, vegetables, low-fat dairy, and water or juices as an attractive play lifestyle, which reinforces our nutrition commitment happy smile is frozen on his box, but uh, mine isn't. And I don't think Dr. James Sargent is very happy about this. He's a professor of pediatrics at the Geisel School of Medicine at Dartmouth. Hello, Dr. Sargent. Hello. So the happy meal is now they're trying to market it as a thing or a person is just is this just another in a step of uh, marketing missteps when it comes to kids and food?
2: The thing that's disturbing to me about it is the children that it's pitching its ads to aren't even old enough to understand that they're being advertised to. They don't even understand what advertising means. When I was a kid, marketing to children was was kind of small potatoes. So now you have these marketing firms that focus on nothing else besides kids. And they actually openly admit to focusing on developing ads to get kids to pester their parents for the products and they know a lot about the demographics of pestering they know that the boys are better pesters than the girls the ads are really crafted in order to get the kids to want the product and bug the parent for the product.
0: Yeah, I have a five and a seven-year-old, and they just tell me things about products that I look at them like, oh, I see, they've gotten to you because you watch the Cartoon Network. And we accept this because most Americans grew up with this, but for instance, in Canada, this isn't done, right? And we have to start
2: questioning why we accept it. So I was talking to some donors, the Cancer Center, business people, and we were talking about this, and... There was one that was in marketing, and I said, you know, I think it's unethical for companies to communicate to children this age because they don't understand advertising. It's like shooting fish in a barrel. And he was up in arms about it, and I said, look, you know, do you think it's okay for us to employ children in factories? Is it okay for corporations to do that? They all agreed, of course not. And I said, you know, in 1938, when the government proposed regulations around child labor corporations were screaming that they were going to go out of business because they needed the child labor to be able to compete in the marketplace and we're in a different century now you know everybody agrees that children should be in schools that they shouldn't work in factories for this century the thing that we have to address is whether these companies can communicate directly to children and when they can start sweden has it right In Sweden, you can't advertise to children until they're 12. And I think that makes sense.
0: So what goes on in a child's brain, no matter how much a parent tells them what advertising is, how do they process it in a a way that we adults might not realize?
2: Well, there's this perception that you can train children to be skeptical about advertising. Let's be clear about who the Happy Meal is being marketed to. Mm -hmm. The demographic for the Happy Meal is three to seven years of age. Yeah. So think about your three-year-old. Think about your four-year-old. They, they're not—they're designed to be sponges. You know, they're assimilating language. They're assimilating how they ought to um, interact with each other. They're learning that they can't bite their friends. Things like that. So, 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 so—they're designed to uh, assimilate information, lay it down, and just spit it back. To expect that you could train a kid that age to to look at something and be skeptical about it or to look at something and understand that there's this deeper thing going on is just ridiculous. They don't have the developmental capability to do that. And that's why I say it's like shooting fish in a barrel. I mean, they, they don't even often distinguish the programming from the advertising.
0: And what about the fact that McDonald's is trumpeting the fact that they have apples and milk in all the Happy Meals, I mean, there's barely, every commercial hits that. It's not just like, oh, yeah, if you want an apple, you can have an apple. I mean, this is prominent. Is is that, should we look at that as, oh, they're trying to get the meals healthy, or should we look at that more cynically?
2: They're doing that because the government is saying, if you're going to market meals to children, you should market healthy foods. So they're saying, okay, well, we'll put a few apples in with our hamburger or in with highly caloric chicken tenders, and that's kind of how they're responding to government pressure. But the government pressure should be that you shouldn't be communicating to children. You can communicate to parents. You can communicate to adults. You can even communicate to adolescents, but you shouldn't be communicating to children at all in the Happy Meal
0: demographic. And what do you make of the, uh, the rebranding of the box as a character?
2: It's really interesting to me because what they have been doing is associating the Happy Meal with um, movie characters and television characters and giving away um, premiums that are, you know, toy premiums that are based on those characters. Right. But now what they've done is they're bypassing that and creating their own character, right? It's kind of the personification of the Happy Meal. It's be, it's going to be the the... Uh, the happy meal ambassador, the Ronald McDonald of Happy Meals.
0: By the way, does Ronald McDonald work? Do they put him in front of kids?
2: Well, Ronald McDonald is their their mascot, yeah. and I think it's a little bit like Mickey Mouse if you if you ask kids about McDonald's, they associate McDonald's with 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 the clown, Ronald McDonald.
0: Right. And in some of your studies you also show that, you know, ads for adults to eat at McDonald's show the food and the burgers, but ads for kids don't. Why is that significant?
2: That's another problem with these ads, and that is that ads for children and companies have these self-regulatory guidelines that, that are actually pretty reasonable guidelines if they'd abide by them, but the guidelines state that when you're mm-hmm. advertising to children and you have a premium like a toy, that children have trouble distinguishing you know, what's being advertised. And so the ads should clearly emphasize the food, not the premium. And all you have to do is go on YouTube and watch a few McDonald's advertisements aimed at children, and you realize that that's just not the case in those ads.
1: If you've got a thirst for adventure, there's a special place to go. McDonald's. Enjoying the blockbuster taste of apples and milk has never been this thrilling. Now that there's a 3D action cup from the Lego movie, rated PG in your McDonald's Happy Meal.
2: When they make ads for adults, it's all about the food. Right. I mean... Food images are huge. They fill up the whole screen. There's cheese and, and uh, delicious stuff dripping out of the food. And, yeah, and a
0: hamburger that doesn't look like any hamburger you've ever gotten in a McDonald's. We, exactly. We, yeah.
2: we were watching these um, ads because we're pulling clips out of them, and uh, we're watching them at 1030 in the morning, and we'd get done watching about a half hour of these adult ads, and we'd be ready for lunch. So if you look at the food images on the children's ads, they're about a third of the size of the food images on the adult ads. Mm.
0: James Sargent is a professor of pediatrics at the Geisel School of Medicine at Dartmouth. Thank you very much, Dr. Sargent.
2: Thanks for calling.
0: This episode is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website, portfolio, and online store. For a free trial and 10% off, visit squarespace.com gist. Enter offer code gist at checkout. So Squarespace, couple things to recommend it. Really beautiful. It's simple. It's easy. They offer 24-7 support through live chat and email, and their support centers are located in New York City, Dublin, and Portland. I assume that's Portland, Oregon. In fact, I know that's Portland, Oregon. Portland, Maine may be on the short list of where Squarespace would staff support people. They're only going to hipster neighborhoods. Squarespace people will tell you via chat and email how to build your website. They'll also put a bird on it, if you know what I mean. And when you do decide to sign up for Squarespace, again, use the offer code, the gist, to get 10% off your first purchase. And of course, also shows support for the gist. Squarespace, a better web starts with your website. So as I said, I'm here in New Haven, and I'm part of the uh, Arts and Ideas Festival. A linchpin, I guess. I was on a panel last night called Thinking About Sports. I guess that's what got it shoehorned into the Arts and Ideas Festival. Hey, you're thinking, but it's about sports. Get out! So I wanted to play a little bit of that panel. The other male voice uh, that you'll hear, aside from mine, is Frank DeFord, the other male voice as a commentator. You will... You know Frank DeFord. I don't have to tell you who he is. The best, best magazine sports writer probably ever. And the guy who led the panel, who organized the panel, is Nikki Davidoff. And uh, Nikki has written The Catcher Was a Spy, The Mysterious Life of Mo Berg. Great book. His latest book was an exceptional, exceptional, fantastic book called Collision Low Crossers, A Year Inside the Turbulent World of NFL Football. Lived with the Jets for about a year, a season at least. And the female voice you will hear in this discussion is Elizabeth Alexander, who's a poet, essayist, playwright. She wrote a huge poem in the voice of Muhammad Ali, One of her uh, collections of poems, American Sublime, was a finalist for the Pulitzer. And I think you'll enjoy this excerpt.
3: So why do you guys think that Americans have been slow to embrace the
0: beautiful game of soccer? It's the World Cup time. Yeah, a few reasons. One, I think for a long time that there was the incorrect notion that because kids played it, they would grow to love it as adults, as a fan. And I think if you look at the trend of sports in this country, participation doesn't translate into spectator sports. You know, running, running is extremely popular. It's never been more popular. Good luck with getting anyone to go to a track meet. I think that the original NASL and the MISL, those original leagues were built on poor economic grounds. I think the current professional soccer league in this country, Major League Soccer, is probably the smartest and best run of the leagues. And I think that demographically now, even if white America is slow to embrace, the browning of America just totally translates to increased popularity in soccer. And as as more Americans are getting better at soccer and playing the English Premier League we're going to have more success on the world stage so we're going to become better and better at soccer so we have a good future I think with soccer
1: I think we have to take into consideration that soccer has had all kinds of opportunities I mean we chose our football over soccer there must have been a reason for that I mean, basketball came along after soccer we fell in love with it I think part of it is proficiency. Um, I don't care how good you are with your feet. You can't do, you know, God gave us these things to separate us from the beast of the fields. You know, and, and, and,
0: and, like Luis Suarez.
1: Yeah, and also, you know, you, then you hit the ball with your head, they talk about it. Um, but, but really, I'm being facetious now so all soccer people can get mad. But you watch uh, somebody like the San Antonio Spurs moving the ball around it here and there, and guys just cutting, and all of a sudden, bingo, there's a pass, and Ginobili makes a basket. The equivalence in soccer is they kick it around for a while, and then the other team takes it over. <laughs> and then the announcer says, that was the most lovely teamwork I've seen, but it's an incompleted pass. <laughs> I, I mean... I, I simply think we have adopted sports uh, that we love. And if I grew up in, in, in Milan or or Sao Paulo, I'm sure I would love soccer very, very much. I, by the way, I like the World Cup. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do. I think the you World Cup is fascinating. You and seven billion others, right? <laughs> not because of <laughs> soccer, but because of the international competition, and, and I've... Been to World Cups and been to European Cups, and, and they are uh, extraordinary. Better, more fun than the Olympics in, in, in many respects. But I'm still, as you can tell, dubious about the uh, future
3: of soccer in the United States. Well, you, I hear what you're saying that Americans don't like it, they don't score enough. If you believe in things like an American character, I wonder if you all think that there might be something to the effect that in this country maybe people like to have things that are our own more than in some places. In other words, you know, there was every opportunity to have sports that, were, that came from England and other countries, but instead baseball was created. And, there, and baseball has always been celebrated in part. I mean, baseball, f- face it, is pretty much as is, is, is nuanced, which is an easier way of saying boring, as soccer is for the uninitiated, right? And yet people love baseball here the way they love soccer. Baseball could be our soccer to some degree. And I wonder if it's some, some line between independence and exceptionalism that has something to do with it. I don't know.
0: What do you think? Well, I, I guess I, I list more to the side, maybe from the perspective of my husband came from East Africa and loved soccer more than anything, and that was the sport he wanted the kids to play more than anything. And he was wonderfully curious and interested. You know, what is this football? You know, What is this basketball? How do you play this game? How do you play this baseball? So he learned because his children were interested, but at the same time, soccer was and is a lingua franca for the whole wide world. I don't think it's necessarily about one sport supplanting the other. To me, the more interesting question is why does the whole wide world love soccer, not why are we slow to adopt soccer?
3: So, you know, um, in fact, there are metrics that people are, in our age of metrics, people are always measuring what's most popular. And in our country, football is suddenly way more popular. Football's the game of our time, it's supplanted baseball. And um, I wonder if you you guys have any thoughts about why that's happened. What's happened to baseball and what's happened to football? Why football, why not baseball?
0: Television. So my big theory about football though is that it's all tied up with the brutality of the game. And when I say that, people say, oh, Americans enjoy hard hits and they enjoy brutality. Well, that is true, but that's actually not what I mean. What I mean is that the game is so brutal and so physically bruising that you can't play it but more than once a week. And you really probably shouldn't be playing it once a week. But... (laughs) Because of that there's a scarcity an imposed scarcity if you look at everything that's ever become extremely popular I mean this was the theory about why free agency would make the players a lot of money there's going to be imposed scarcity and we think we want everything that we want now but we don't this is what killed the game show who wants to be a millionaire right it was good let's throw it on eight times a week everyone got sick of who wants to be a millionaire so that's what I think it is I think that the that because it can't be played more than once a week I think because even if an owner wants to say hey we'll open our arena doors three days a week and we'll make them more money that way. I mean, I think hockey would do better off if they eliminated a third of the teams and a quarter of the season, right? I think fewer games would actually make it more special, and that's the big thing, I think, that's helped the NFL.
1: I would agree with everything Mike said and add one more thing, and that's gambling. Oh, yeah. It's the best game to bet. <laughs> I mean, it simply is. The point spread, which was created in the 1940s, I mean, we've had basketball scandals because of it but nonetheless football and particularly since you have all week to plan mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> <laughs> to get your edge <laughs> yeah exactly
1: <laughs> and, and i kind of look at football like, like automobile racing people used to criticize uh, automobile racing fans that wanted to see an accident they were bloodthirsty mm-hmm. it's not wanting to see the accident it's wanting to see the guy just avoid the accident
0: mm-hmm.
1: and and there's the same sort of concept of the of the quarterback managing to do something just before he gets hit and do something beautiful. And so it's, it's not just the brutality, but it's the escape of brutality. But I think it's impossible to, to get away from the argument that it's the violence which is so seductive. I, I just, whether that's in the American character or not, I don't, I don't know. But you know I think what the
3: biggest growing demographic of football fans is women. Why do you have any Women like why to that? see we men
1: be... getting hurt.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
1: and by the way, baseball—baseball baseball really hasn't declined. Baseball is—you look at the statistics and everything. More people see it than ever before. It's just that football is skyrocketing. I mean, basketball is, pro hockey—all of them have done well. It's not that they've gone down, it's just that football has gone. gone, gone
0: I think I think football is not only the most popular sport, and isn't college football number two in all those surveys. I mean, I think it's the most ascendant force in our culture, actually. It's the only thing that keeps going up and up and up. (laughs) So that was us on a panel. A little funny anecdote. We all talked about uh, an athlete that we admired or impressed us, and Elizabeth's was Muhammad Ali. And then Frank had this great anecdote where he said, you know, I just hung out with Muhammad Ali once, and we were in a hotel. There was a piano there. Muhammad Ali goes over the piano, plays a perfect rendition of the Tennessee Waltz, and gets up. And everyone just turned to him and said, who knew? And Frank says, I know, who knew? Who knew Muhammad Ali? And now, let me just say, this is the spiel. The Arts and Ideas Festival. I mean, this is a concept, right? When I look at the situation in Iraq and how everything is falling apart, I just say to myself, why didn't they just have an Arts and Ideas Festival beforehand? Wouldn't that have forestalled all the ethnic killing? The Arts and Ideas Festival... I guess it's a little bit of an indulgence. I mean, I like arts, I like ideas. It's just the problem with explicitly acknowledging that you are experiencing the arts, you are talking about ideas, and you are doing it in the festival setting. So here's my suggestion for future arts and ideas festivals. To do a couple things. To differentiate yourself from other arts and ideas festivals, but to give it a little bit more uh, a frijon of coolness. You ready? Think of a third thing that in no way is a synonym or goes along with Arts and Ideas, right? So it can't be notions or it can't be cogitation and stick that idea in the middle of Arts and Ideas and have like a couple booths about that. So some of those ideas could be the Arts Microbrews and Ideas Festival. Tell me you wouldn't go to that. Or the Arts Macrame and Ideas Festival. All right, I wouldn't go to that, but someone would. Maybe macrame is not the uh, hottest of uh, topics. How about this? The Arts Taxidermy and Ideas Festival. That is the greatest. And that would also lead to And here's my other, not problem, but uh, thought about Arts and Ideas Festival. That would lead to a better t-shirt. Because right now I am wearing the Arts and Ideas Festival t-shirt that I was given for being a panelist last night. And I have to say, the only time that I will ever wear the Arts and Ideas Festival t-shirt. And it has nothing to do with design. It has to do with messaging. Is in the middle of the Arts and Ideas Festival. Like, I just cannot see wearing this at a gym. What am I saying? What am I signaling? Either that I'm a guy who's into arts and ideas, or even worse, if someone asks, I would have to admit, actually, I'm a propagator of either arts or ideas. Yeah, I was a panelist on the Arts and Ideas Festival. I mean, People want to signal this idea all the time, but that's why they wear Vampire Weekend t-shirts, right? There are other ways of saying, Hey, I'm a smart guy who's into arts and ideas, rather than wearing an arts and ideas festival. Also, arts and ideas festival t-shirts, logos in general tend to fall down in two key areas. One, the artistry, and two, the idea behind it. It's usually just, I mean, this Arts and Ideas Festival t-shirt, look, lovely people, great concept. But it does look almost exactly like the logo logo for a 70s kids show on PBS. You know, I don't know Zoom, the electric company, but there are like thought bubbles coming out. I've never really seen a kick-ass Arts and Ideas Festival. It it does say something strange about the state of thinking in American t-shirt design that a Senior Frogs t-shirt will contain better art and a more interesting idea than an Arts and Ideas Festival t-shirt. Although maybe that's what the Arts and Ideas Festival should do. Just adopt... The t-shirt with, like, a funny frog downing a uh, pint of liquor. That would be the most counterintuitive Arts and Ideas Festival t-shirt ever. And it would definitely impress the dude on the other side of the gym. And it would definitely impress the girl on the other side of the gym who is wearing a Vampire Weekend t-shirt. But as much as I make fun of the Ideas Festival, I really want to thank them for having me. It's a good time and there are smart discussions. You know, almost like a living podcast with four people at a time. I have... An idea about Ideas Festival, sort of a rebranding idea. To think about life maybe more like an Ideas Festival, let me give you an example. I pick up some of my relatives at LaGuardia Airport, and then an argument ensues. No, we should take the BQE. You're nuts. At this hour, the BQE is crazy. we got to take the Grand Central. The Grand Central, no way. We'll never get to the Cross Island that way. And I turn around. I'm like, guys, will you stop arguing? It would be very useful if maybe my uncle would then be able to turn to me and say, We're not arguing. We're engaged in an ideas festival. And that's it for today's show. Andrea Salenzi is the producer of The Gist. Her new nomad name, Lead Certified. Andy Bowers, executive producer of Slate Podcast, will no longer be Mongo. When he rides with us, he's known as Rucksack. You can subscribe in iTunes, give us a review, subscribe to us directly, even though we're also a part of the Slate Daily Podcast feed. Search for us on your Android or iOS device or Stitcher or tune in. On Facebook, we're at facebook.com/slash slate gist. You can sign up for a daily email and we'll send the slate gist to you. And that's at slate.com slash gist email. The Gist, locally sourced, organically farmed, in zero to 60 in four seconds. Thanks for listening.